You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And so you have this group. Like I said, this is the Greek-speaking synagogues. Up until this point, we've had the disciples, and they have had opposition, right? They've been captured. They've even been beaten a little bit. But this has always been from the Jewish leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that are overseeing the temple. They've, they've been opposing to it because they're pulling away from their power. Now you have the Greek leaders. The Greek synagogues are in opposition to Stephen's teaching because he's pulling away from their culture. It's pulling away from what they want to do, how they want to live, that they want to continue in their pagan ways, that they want to continue in living their lifestyle, and they don't want anyone telling them how they need to change, anyone cramping their lifestyle, and so they're beginning to oppose Stephen and his teaching in these synagogues. And so they begin to argue with him. And we see in a short verse, chapter 6, verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They were trying to fight. But they only found themselves fighting against God. The Holy Spirit had engulfed Stephen, and the Holy Spirit had filled him. And so they found themselves fighting against the Spirit. And so they, no matter what they tried, no matter what angle they had, Stephen was able to overcome in, in, in the midst of this arguing. And so they finally tie him up, and, and we see this in, in verse 11 through 14. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, folk, they produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy places and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and cha- change the customs, uh, customs of Moses handed down to us. And so they, begin, they bring him and they capture him and, and they produce these accusations. These accusations are, there's threefold, three big things that in the Jewish custom you don't go against. They said that he's speaking against Moses. You don't mess with Moses, right? You don't mess with the ancestors, the forefathers, and so they say he's speaking against Moses. And then he's speaking against the temple. They've captured him, they've tied him up, and they've brought him to the temple. And now these Greek-speaking, these, these Greek-speaking Jews are presenting this to the Hebrew Jews, to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're the ones that are in the temple, overseeing the temple, and he's saying that he's speaking against this very place, this holy place, and he's committing blasphemy. And so they, they present these charges against him, and, and they present this, and everyone there in the meeting place it's conflicted, it's confronted with the reality of what is about to happen. And they have Stephen here. And as I said, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that the arguing doesn't work because he has the Holy Spirit. And we see something else here in the presence of the Holy Spirit in Stephen. In verse 15, all who were sitting at the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw his face was like that, was like the face of an angel. I don't know what that meant. I don't know if it meant that he was glowing. I don't know if, it, if a light beam came down on him. I don't know what that entailed to say that he looked like an angel. But there was something significant. There's something different that they were able to say, whoa, 
I don't know what's going on, but this Stephen guy, he looks like an angel. We don't know what's possessed him, but he looks different. There's something special about him. And so here they have him, and he looks like an angel because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an old Jewish tradition, a saying, because remember the temple in Jerusalem is the holy place, right? This is where God resided in the Holy of Holies. And so people would come multiple times throughout the year and they would venture from their towns and their villages from far off and close by to come to the temple and worship, to come to the temple and sacrifice. Because as the saying goes, at the temple is where heaven and earth overlapped. This is this idea that, that heaven came down in the temple. And we never, that, that saying is never more true than this day when we see in Stephen. The Holy Spirit has filled him. He looks different. He's proclaiming different. And we're about to see he speaks to the Sanhedrin with boldness. Boldness that wouldn't make sense for a common man to have. But it's because a spirit is in him because heaven and earth has overlapped there in Stephen's life. And so the speech that, you're gonna, that we're going to come across is the longest speech in the book of Acts. And I'll tell you right now, this speech leads to his death. Sorry if I spoiled it, uh, but it's coming, right? It leads to his death. But we're also going to see heaven is waiting. Stephen, the word Stephen, the name means crown. And he's going to be the first to wear the martyr's crown for Christ. And so as we come to this time, as, as we see the background of who Stephen is, as we see the setup of this scene, as we transition to some more worship and then the video of his speech, I want to encourage you to be able to focus on the witness of Stephen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to pray and transition back into worship and just continue to praise him, continue to proclaim that we want to be a witness for Jesus. So if you'll pray with me. God, we thank you for... The opportunity to be here this morning, God, to let our worship be a sweet aroma in your, in your nostrils. God, let us, our worship be a beautiful sound in your ears. God, let us worshiping be a beautiful sight to your eyes. God, we give up this time of worship to you. Let this be something that we can put aside the trials of this week, put aside the, the burdens of physical afflictions or of emotional hardships and just fully dive into you and worship you. God, we lift this up in your name. Like it says, the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts is Stephen, uh, a common man like you and me, has been tied up and is presented in front of the leaders in the temple, in front of the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the educated people. Uh, uh, and he's bold enough to be able to do this. I mean, it'd be like if I was in front of a bunch of NASA scientists and I'm telling them about the moon, right? Or I'm telling them about space travel. It, it, it's, that's how knowledgeable these guys are. And he's telling them the history of the Jewish faith. It's these guys that the Pharisees had the entire Old Testament memorized. Not, not just a couple of verses like you and I might, the entire thing memorized. And he's bold enough to proclaim to all of them, here's what happened. And then he goes and connects the dots of their history, of Moses, of their escape from captivity, of their liberation, to Jesus Christ and how they murdered Jesus. 
And so, well, at a bold speech, and so he's there before the leaders, the, the Greek leaders are, are there, they've brought him, and now he's before the, the Hebrew leaders, and he's presenting this speech, and he's impassioned, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and they can't handle it, especially when he connects the history to this man, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who this group of leaders were the ones that led to his death. And so we pick up on this in in chapter 7, at the end of 7, verse 54 and 56. It says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I have seen heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What? Like, check that verse out, right? Can we bring it back up? Just, I just want you to stop and look at that verse yourself. Look at the end of that, of what he sees. It says, he's, he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a powerful verse because there's a spiritual realm that is going on, that is going on at this moment for Stephen, and he sees it open up, that God opens his eyes. It's like the story from Elisha and, and his servant back in the Old Testament where Elisha said, the servant is scared, and Elisha says, God, open up the eyes of my servant, and the eyes are open, and he sees they are surrounded, they are protected by horses and flaming chariots. This is spiritual realm is going on, and normally we can't see it, but there's a, once in a while a glimpse for Elisha. He got a gl- and his servant got a glimpse of the spiritual world. For Stephen, he captures a glimpse of the spiritual realm that's going on around him. This spiritual realm that's going around, on around you and I, that is looking down at us right now. And so Stephen captures a glimpse, and he proclaims to them, he says, look, do you guys see what I see? It's that clear that he expects everyone to see it. It's not just a, a, a thought. It's not just this vision in his mind. He thinks it's that clear. Everyone, look up, and he sees an opening. And he says, heaven open, and there is Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Like, that's an amazing scene, right? But it's even more amazing if you look at the details of what he says he sees. Because everything we've seen up to this point in, in Scripture has Jesus that he will conquer sin and he, will, and he will leave earth and he will go and reign in heaven. And what does he do? He sits at the right hand of God. That there's the throne of God and his right hand man is Jesus and together they rule over the kingdom and together they sit on the throne and together angels and, and p- people and everyone in heaven is praising them and they're sitting there. We see this over and over. Mark 14, 62. Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. We see in Psalm 110, verse 1. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We see in Hebrews, it says the sun, of the, radi- the sun is in radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the powerful word. After he had provided purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So time and time again, we see that Jesus is seated at the right hand. And what does Stephen see? When he looks up, Jesus is standing. He's standing there. He can't sit down while he sees what's going on, and he stands there. And I love that image because how, are you, how would a father embrace a son? When the son comes home, is the father just going to stay seated? 
No, he's going to get up and embrace his son and give him a hug. And Jesus knows what this moment is. This is the first time that someone has died for the Christian faith. This is the first time that someone has died after, since Jesus rose again. And so for the first time, we're about to have a martyr. For the first time, we're about to have a, a, a witness. The word martyr means witness, and we're going to have a witness that is so passionate about their beliefs, so convicted that they're willing to die for it. And so Jesus knows this. Jesus knows Stephen's coming to the kingdom. And so he's already stood up, and he's ready to embrace this man that's about to come into the kingdom of God. Luke wants to paint this picture because he's writing this story for the people that would follow, for those that would face persecution, for some that would die, for the, for the years to come, for the generations, for the 2,000 years later, people like you and I to know that Jesus is there standing to embrace them, to know that martyrs don't die alone, but they're dying in the gaze of their loving Savior that's about to embrace them. And so it's an amazing scene if you think just the fact that, Luke, that Stephen has this chance to see the spiritual realm that's going on at that very moment. This isn't an image. This isn't a vision. This is reality that Jesus is there ready to embrace him. And the passage continues in verse 57. It says, At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell, to, he fell asleep. So we have this scene, so he proclaims this, and he tells them about this image. He's like, hey, do you guys see this? There's, there's Jesus sitting next to God. And at this, they're just so furious. And you can imagine how angry they are. You can imagine, like, they're so angry that they can't talk. That the, I always picture this gnashing of teeth. It's just a weird concept of, of they're grinding their teeth. They're just showing their teeth because they don't even have words. They're that angry. They're that upset. And so they just go into this fit of rage, and they go and they capture him, and they tie him up. And they drag him out of the temple. And so they go, they, it says that they go out of the city and stone him. They take this man who's just proclaimed who Jesus is. And they take him and they capture him and they drag him out of the temple and down the streets. And as they're going down the streets and passing people's homes and passing people's shops, passing the well, the crowd gathers and they see what's going on and they begin to follow. Because everyone wants to know, what's this commotion? What's happening? Some people just want to be part of this mob mentality. And so the crowd gets bigger and bigger and it's no longer the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the Hellenistic Jews that are leading the way. Now it's this giant crowd of people in and living in Jerusalem and doing business in Jerusalem and they're all headed out. And they make it to this rocky field, this patch outside the city gates, and they throw Stephen down. And everyone grabs a rock, and they begin to throw it at him. I was doing some research on stoning and, and as we were pre as preparing for this, and it, it's a gruesome, it's a, it's a graphic way to die. But the intent is that no one person's rock would be the cause of the death. And so the blame can't be on one person, but the blame would be on everybody, and, and equally everybody's innocent. And so everyone in the group grabs this rock, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Hellenistic Jews, the, the crowd, the people that were just in their shop, but like this mob mentality, have got riled up and they grab a rock as well. And everyone's throwing rocks at him, trying to hit him in his face, trying to hit him in his torso, hoping that they could be that final death blow. All because he's willing to stand up 
for Jesus. Sanhedrin doesn't even have the authority to do this. They don't have the authority to bring capital punishment. That's why with Jesus, they had to go through all those hoops of the fake trials to, to send him to the Romans to, to, be, to be put to death. But in the moment of anger, in the moment of rage, and in the moment of peer pressure, everything gets worked up and they drag him out and they kill him. As I said, the word martyr means a witness. And this idea of a witness is something that's come up time and time again in the past couple of weeks as I've been looking at this passage, is this idea of being a witness. Is that Jesus was there witnessing all this. As he sees heaven open up, he sees that Jesus is there ready to witness, ready to embrace Stephen into the kingdom of God. Jesus is a witness. Stephen was a witness in the temple as he preached and he proclaimed but Stephen was also a witness at that moment when they're throwing stones at him. And his last dying breath is to ask for forgiveness. The Jews have had a long history of persecution. And it doesn't, wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that, to think that if they were being persecuted, that they would lash out at the, their persecutors, Right? That they have this history of when they've been persecuted, it's recorded in, in different things outside of the Bible, that when they've been persecuted, that, that they lash out seeking revenge, that they proclaim that my God will have revenge on you. It's recorded in, in the book of Second Maccabees, chapter 7, there's a story of seven brothers that were tortured. The Syrian king has come about 200 years before the story of Stephen. He's come and, and he's invaded Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem. He's desecrated the temple. He's made the Jews eat pork, something that was uh, an unclean animal, which was horrible for them. Uh, he, made, he made many of the Jews denounce their faith. And those that didn't, he tortured. And so the story in Maccabees has the seven brothers, and, and they start to torture the first brother, asking him to denounce his faith. And instead, he says, my God will seek revenge on you, and they kill him. The second brother in front, of the other, in front of the other five is tortured and some graphic stuff in the story of how they tortured him. And they expect him to denounce his faith and he says, my God will ruin you. My God will torture you. My God will destroy you. The third one is murdered in front of them. Again, he proclaims revenge is coming. The fourth one, the fifth one, the sixth one, all seven are tortured. All seven stand up for their faith and all seven say that their God will seek revenge. All this happens in front of their mother, who the mother says revenge is coming to that king. And so you have this idea, this story, this history of the Jews seeking for revenge, that their God would revenge them, their God would justify them. And now you have Stephen, who's coming out of this Jewish mindset, who's being presented in front of the Jews, the Hebrew Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, the people of Jerusalem, all the Jewish people. And he, what does he do? Instead of proclaiming revenge, he's a witness, and he proclaims forgiveness. He asks forgiveness for his enemies. He asks for forgiveness for the ones that hurt him. He does exactly what Jesus has been teaching his followers. Jesus taught him, taught him to love, to love one's enemies. Jesus on the cross cried out for forgiveness for those that put him there. And so what does it mean to be a witness for Christ? It means to, to be a witness of love. It's to be a witness in action, a witness in words. 
And so Stephen was a witness. Stephen was a martyr. He was a witness that day in how he proclaimed love and forgiveness for the people that are throwing stones at his face at that very moment. Like I said, this idea of a witness keeps coming back, and there's Jesus watching this, standing ready to embrace Stephen. Jesus died for Stephen. He died for his sins. He died that his sins would be taken away. And so that when Stephen would finally meet his death, he would go up to heaven and spend eternity with Christ. Jesus died for your sins, for my sins. That whatever moment that was, that we come to our end, that Jesus would be able to stand and embrace us and welcome us into his kingdom. And so we have this idea like I said, in the Jewish culture, there's this idea that the temple is a place where heaven and earth overlap. And we see that in this story. That heaven is opened up and Jesus is there to embrace Stephen as he leaves earth and he goes into heaven. And there's one more witness. We saw him just for a second. We saw a little glimpse of a man named Saul. Saul becomes a a major figure in the book of Acts. And if you don't know already, Saul turns into Paul. He meets Jesus. And we're going to look at that on Easter Sunday in a few weeks, that that amazing transformation in Saul's life. But at this point, Saul is a rabbi. Saul is one of the leaders of this persecution of the Christians. Saul is a leader of the persecution of Stephen. And we see that in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And Saul proved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What Satan had used to to destroy Christianity, what Satan had used to destroy this early church, is now spreading everybody out is now lighting a wildfire that's going to spread. But Saul doesn't realize this at the time, and he's there in Jerusalem, and he's trying to, to put a squelch to this new way of life. And so he's so zealous for this that he's going in homes, he's kicking down doors. Up to this point, they were just capturing the disciples there in the temple, right? When the, when the disciples would come and they would teach there, uh, the crowds would come, they would capture them and, and take them to jail. Now Saul's going in the homes, Saul hears the rumors that there's a group of believers down the road and to the left in that little house. And he goes and he busts down the door and he captures them. He hears that there's a group of believers that are meeting uh, up the hill. And he goes and he busts down that door and he captures them. He's holding no, no, nothing back. He's capturing men and women. He's capturing everybody. Trying to put an end to this, to this Christianity. And while he's doing that, little does he know... He's igniting the spread of this fire. We see the story continues on in in Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah was there. Philip is one, along with Stephen, one of the the people that had been chosen to care for the widows. And he goes out and he he begins to proclaim. Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there's great joy in that city. So Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to proclaim the word. 
He's kind of exiled out of Jerusalem for fear of his life, for, for fear that the, the gospel is going to be stopped. And so everyone goes out, and he goes to Samaria. I don't know if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? If you remember the background of that story, you have the Jews who are, are God's chosen people, and then you have the Samaritans who are, who are kind of like half-Jews. They were often looked down upon by the Jews. They were often frowned upon and judged. They were the group that when the, Babylon, when the Jews were in exile to Babylon, these, these people stayed there. And so when the good Jews, when the pure Jews, when the Jews that face a persecution come back, they're angry at this group, the Samaritans. And so, and so they begin to fight. They begin to disagree and they, they judge each other and they hate each other and they question each other. This is the group that Philip goes to. This is the group that he witnesses to. There's a verse in the first chapter of Acts that when we had got to that uh, several weeks ago, we had said that this is kind of the theme verse for the entire book. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, this is Jesus' command to everybody, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so geographically, this is the description of the book of Acts, right? That it, start, it began with Jerusalem, and, and there you have in Jerusalem, the believers are, are there, and they're, they're witnessing there in the temple, and then Saul leads this persecution, and the Christians begin to spread, and the Christians begin to go out. And so now it's spread to all of Judea and Samaria, which is kind of the nearby lands. This is where the story, where Philip picks up, now he's in Samaria, the, the word has spread to there. And then eventually it'll get to the ends of the earth as we get to the latter part of Acts, and, and we look at Paul's missionary journeys, it's going to the outer parts that they know. And so it's this idea geographically that describes the book of Acts, but also it's a verse that describes what we need to do as a witness. To start with Jerusalem, those that we know well, to know that those that know you well, to maybe to your family, to your fellow students, to your co-workers, to the people that know you close, to your neighbors in your neighborhood, to be a witness there. But then to begin to be a witness going out to Judea, to the, to the outer parts, people that you might interact with. And Judea is the people that you might agree with, you might get along with, that you see the same, see eye to eye. And, and so to be a witness to them. But also Jesus says into Samaria. We haven't stopped to look at that, at the point of that verse. Jesus is saying not just to your close friends, not just to people that think like you, people that think differently than you. To go to Samaria, to those that you judged. To go to Samaria, those that judge you. To go to Samaria, the people that are against you. To go to Samaria, the people that have fought you. To go to Samaria, to the people that you would not want to go to normally. Go to them and be a witness because the Holy Spirit will empower you. To go to the people that have often looked down at you. To go to the people that are throwing stones at you. And cry out for forgiveness for them. And so we see this idea that, this, that we're meant to go and spread the word, not just to our home, but, but to the people that maybe are like-minded, but also to the people that aren't. The people that are fighting us, to, to the people at work that seem, you seem to be battle with all the time, to the student at school that seems to pick on you all the time, to go and set an example through the Holy Spirit, a witness a witness. Our testimony is our witness. It's interesting as we look at Stephen, 
Well, he covers all of chapter 7 and a little bit of 6 and a little bit of 8. His story is a very short one in time. And it'd be easy for us to look back at Stephen and be like, man, what a waste. He was just appointed to be able to be a leader in this Jerusalem church. He was just appointed to have some prestige, and, and now he just murdered just like that. What a waste of his life. But it wasn't. Because of him... We see that great things happen. Because of him, Philip goes and preaches to Samaria. Because of him, Paul credits this as part of his conversion. Because he was there and he saw the Holy Spirit. He saw that he looked like an angel. He saw that there was something different when he cried out for forgiveness. Because of him, Paul has changed in Paul's missionary journey. Because of him, Peter goes on a missionary journey. Because of him, the church in Antioch of Syria is established. And so because of him, all this has happened because of his short time of witness. So I share that to us, to you and to me, as encouragement. And I want to ask you, what kind of witness are you? Because in this scene, we have many witnesses. We have Jesus, who's a witness, embracing what's about to happen, embracing Stephen to come to the kingdom. We have Stephen as a witness in his words and in his deeds. But we also have Saul, who witnessed all of this as well, who stood by and let the bad happen. What kind of witness are we? Are we willing to stand up for God? Are we willing to be a witness that as Easter's coming, this is a great time to invite someone to church? At Easter, it's, no one's going to question you. No one's going to judge you for inviting them to church, whether it's this church or invite them to go to their home church. Just go to church. That's an opportunity to be a witness to, that would, might lead to someone's life changing. Because of Stephen's short life, lives were changed. Eternity was changed for many. Maybe it's your chance if you've been considering getting baptized. It's time to step up and be a witness. To make that commitment and to be baptized in front of your friends and your family, in front of this group of believers, to proclaim that I'm going to be a witness for Christ. If that's the case, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the leaders. We'd love to have you get baptized here. We can do it any time, day or night on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday at midnight. I'd love to meet you here any of those times to be a witness and to proclaim who Jesus is in your life. And if you're already a believer, I want to encourage you to be a witness in your Jerusalem, those nearby, those in your home and at your workplace, to your Judea and to Samaria, those that you don't always agree with, those that you fight with, those that are your worst enemies. Maybe even those, it seems like they're throwing stones at you. Be a witness to the very end. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we just come to you right now and pray that we can be a witness that you're proud of. God, I pray that our life, that we could live in such a way that if heaven was to open up, we would see you right beside God at the throne and that you would be standing ready to embrace us at our last moment saying, well done, saying thank you. God, we pray that if there's anyone here that's considering following you with their life, to, to giving their life over, that you just put that burden on their heart to come talk to someone, to go to the prayer room and, and just pray with someone about this, that we could be, that they would be a witness for who you are. And God, I pray for the, all of us that have accepted you as our Savior, 
that this week we will be a witness in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We lift this up in your name.